0: Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning.
0: You're a mess, aren't you?
2: I'm not very tall either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Hello, you're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio across the city in South Cambridgeshire. Many thanks to Ollie for the past hour, but right now it's time for Buns on Seats, the film review show with 100% more Cambridge-based opinion than any other film review show. <laughs> Award season is over for another year, the frocks are packed away, Parasite made history at the Oscars, and 1917 is, I believe, still packing them in. But it's up to us this week to look at this... Traditionally, somewhat weak period for releases, and maybe uncover some gems to get you out in the wind and the rain. I'm Emma Marchant, and today I'm joined by Rowan Lamb, hello; Lorcan O'Neill, hello; Yothi Osman, hello; and David Riley, hello. On the agenda today is a sumptuous adaptation of Jane Austen's final work, *Emma*. Spooky and Stylized sci-fi in *Little Joe*. DC spin-off for Harley Quinn Birds of Prey and that super speedy hedgehog Sonic and not to rain on the Oscars parade but I would like to say that three out of four of those films were directed by women we're also going to have some enthusiastic chat about all the studio Ghibli genius now available to watch through the magic of streaming but to kick off we're just going to spend five minutes on the absolute final debrief of the Oscars until it rolls around next year. The last ones on Seat Show was the day before, and there were perhaps many incorrect predictions that were made. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to.
0: Parasite. <laughs>
2: i'm going to throw this out to everybody parasite winning best picture has made oscar history by being the first foreign language film to do so in 92 years do we think that this reflects the genius of the film or was it just a desire of the academy to remain relevant was it even that strong a year for best films parasite was an incredible
0: film i i've seen it twice now and i just think it was an astounding accomplishment on so many different levels it it, and it is such a remarkable thing. I actually called it that it was going to win. I just, I just got to throw that out there to everybody. I actually called it that it was going to win. No one believed me, and I was right.
3: I, I want to say, yeah, I wasn't on the show, but uh, I listened. Ashley, our beloved Ashley, said I think three times it wasn't going to win. So, Ashley, if you're out there, well, I'm not. Shame. I'm
2: she not was lie. wrong. <laughs> we did stage and screen, and all we talked about was 1917 winning. So,
3: yeah. I apologize. But too.
0: how refreshing to see in my opinion the best film of the bunch actually winning best yeah. film especially
3: La- i mean after last year roma was in the running last year don't forget um so they you know they got form on nominating but uh, yeah i think it's a, a step forward that they they actually had the bravery to say that parasite would win
2: Th- okay, Lorcan, David, like, you agree?
4: I, th- I think it's nice that a foreign film has won. Nice. Uh, it was a pretty good film, I thought. I think Hollywood should have taken it. Um, I'm but, with um, you on
2: that. I'm with. I, I knew it wasn't going to, yeah. but I'm with you on
4: that. Um, but it's kind of like they're Joking. in a <laughs> they're in a weird position now because it's like um, it's just an industry award, so it's like Texas Bible Salesman of the Year every year, and every year they they do a nod to like oh best international Bible salesman with such and such, but what happens if best uh, Texas Bible Salesman of the Year is a guy from Korea? You, you have to reformulate what what your kind of industry award is. So I think that'll be interesting how they how they handle that going forward.
2: And I think, of course, the ratings this year were absolutely awful. As I know, I think they were they were lower than they've ever been. So I think obviously the Oscars show itself has got to look at trying to shake something up to do something differently, hasn't it? To to you know to get. The youth, shall we say, no. tuning starting
0: in. with the length, it goes on forever. Like it's the longest show, and there's just—I don't know. I think they could do something more with it to make it more appealing to to other people. with i mean, I'm saying that having watched the entire thing <laughs> until <laughs> five o'clock in the morning, but that's because I have a vested interest. I was in Going to say it. you
2: are on a film podcast, right, well, exactly. So, no, one would hope so.
0: <laughs> David, any any last words?
1: I mean, I, I hadn't seen Parasite, so when I actually realised the Oscars were happening I realised I didn't actually care <laughs> this <Yeah>. year. <laughs> I learned all the nominations and I thought well they're all going to win that so all the actors and actresses went the way I was expecting. Uh, the most interesting thing for me is always the music awards and they just went the way I was expecting. I, I wanted Thomas Newman to win for 1917 but I knew it would go to uh, Hilda Turner's daughter for Joker. So.
2: Okay. Well, I think we, we could talk for longer, but we do have films to pack into this schedule. So, moving on to actual reviews, we're going to start with DC's latest attempt to not only try and rival Marvel's supersonic box office displays, but also in this one put the women front and centre. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you The Emancipation of Harley Quinn. The Joker and I broke up. I wanted a fresh start. But it turns out I wasn't the only Damon Gotham looking for emancipation.
4: Spectacular
3: news.
4: (laughs) Miss Quinn, she brought me. Who are you guys?
2: He's after all of us now None of us are walking out of here Unless we work together We're here. You gotta be kidding Isn't this fun? It's just like the sleepover We should order pizza Big Cosmos we'll Harley, focus Okay Back in 2016, the DC Universe released Suicide Squad and introduced Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn to cinema audiences. Let's fast forward four years and Robbie herself is now a bona fide member of the A-list who is, like Hansel, so hot right now. So the timing is perfect to bring a spin-off to the screen. Written by Christina Hodson from Bumblebee and directed by Kathy Yan, who directed Dead Pigs, this is XX Chromosome all the way. We find Harley newly single, having dumped Jared Leto's psychotic joker and embroiled in a fight over possession of a stolen diamond with Roman Sionis, played by Ewan McGregor. The time is right for Harley to form her girl gang, Rosie Perez, Journey Smollett Bell, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Ella J. Basco and make her own mark on Gotham. Dave, I'm going to come to you because you were perhaps in the minority of this studio and you found quite a lot to enjoy about Suicide Squad. Did Birds of Prey do its heroine justice and find a structure and a method that made sense of that madness?
1: I, I think it did, only because its structure and method were basically embracing the same kind of anarchy that's meant to represent the anarchy that she herself is going through. I I found it you know as enjoyable as I found Suicide Squad. It, it's DC's equivalent of trying to have a laugh. They're not spectacular at it, but I actually think this one is better than Suicide Squad. If you put the two films side by side, mostly because I didn't really care about most of the characters in Suicide Squad. I was just enjoying the situations they were putting put in. Whereas in this one, I actually enjoyed the casting. I thought everyone was nailing their roles, apart from your best friend, Ewan McGregor, perhaps, Emma, <laughs> who we can come to you later. But everyone else, I thought, they really suited the roles that they were cast to. Some of them didn't have as much to do. I know that Rowan's going to give a shout-out to someone later on for his little creepy cameo as well yeah. throughout the film. But, uh, no, nah, it... It ticked all the boxes I wanted it to tick, and it did some of them in ways I wasn't expecting as well. I quite like the way the storyline isn't just linear, it does fragment all over the place, and I thought that was quite reflective of her as a character. And also, everyone seemed to change as the film went on in ways you would and wouldn't expect. Her little asides, where she suddenly reverts to her former self as a psychiatrist and begins evaluating the other characters... In the middle of a massive fight sequence, it was just little throwaway, throwaways and throwaways like that. I found absolutely enjoyable.
2: That I, ha- I must admit, I'm going to hold my hand up and say I haven't seen Suicide Squad. So for me, I hadn't seen Harley Quinn in her previous, you know, um, adaptation or whatever, as sane psychiatrist before she becomes insane. So I kind of felt that Margot Robbie was a little bit one note for me throughout this film. <laughs> Yossi. <clears throat> what's your take on this and bear in mind of course this is a female director did you feel that that did you feel that helped it do you think it hinted it do you think it made any difference
0: I mean, that's an interesting question. I, I, what I will say about the film, as someone who actively hated Suicide Squad, <laughs> sorry, Dave, I really hated Suicide Squad, this, for me, was, was was much better. And I think what I liked about it was that it was stylized, and that um, in terms of the direction, you know, putting it in terms of Harley Quinn's frame of mind, you're very much with her throughout the film. I thought it was a bit rushed at first, but as I got into it... Um, I really enjoyed it, and it, it was refreshing to see DC just having a bit of fun, like not trying to do the serious, contemplative stuff that it's done in some of its other works. Um, and, and I think the direction was was pretty solid. I, I really, actually, quite enjoyed it.
2: I'm not going to lie, because if this was DC having fun, I am really quite concerned about what they're like when they're not having fun. Um, Rowan, thoughts?
3: Well, yeah. I again, I agree. I mirror exactly what you say. If this is supposed to be their funnest, most exuberant film yet, why is it still all grey? Why is it...
0: It wasn't it, all grey. It was. If
3: you compare it to something like Guardians of the Galaxy, the colouring of this, the, the way this film is graded is in very, very, very dark. I
2: literally could not see bits
3: of yeah, it. It was it's, literally it's, too it's, dark it's, to see. It's a bit dark. Sorry. I thought... it. It's a sad story of a film not being quite the sum of its parts because if you look at... I th- it's very easy to get Harley Quinn wrong as a character, and actually, I found Margot Robbie very engaging in this film. I really enjoyed the way she plays Harley Quinn because, yeah, believe me, in other adaptations and other uses of this character, she is, she's well, she's done very well. Let's say that. I really thought Rosie Perez did a good job. Mary Elizabeth Winstead wasn't given very much to do, but I think she did okay. Um, Joni Smollett Bell. She, I, you know, something about her. I liked her. I can't put a finger on it, but um, she was very good. Ella J Basco, I thought was fantastic as the the little kid. Um, so all the casting was great, apart from, as we said, you, poor old Ewan McGregor. Apparently, they were looking at Sam Rockwell for that role, and he turned it down, and they took him as the model by which they chose any anyone else. And so
2: that makes perfect sense yeah, to me. Yeah. I, you know, if I, I think. I, I would say we recently reviewed Doctor Sleep, and that that brought my affection back for you and McGregor. Yeah, but this liked... unfortunately knocked it all the way down. Yeah,
3: I like you and McGregor normally, but he wasn't. He was a bit sleepwalking through this. So, as Dave uh, gave a little uh, hint of earlier, I actually want to give a shout out to Chris Messina, who hasn't really reached the heights of fame that you might have imagined he would a few years ago. You know, when he was in the Mindy Project, I think um, for a hot. A hot minute, he was the internet's boyfriend. Um, I thought he was really great as Victor Zaz. He was only a supporting character, but I thought he was fantastic. So it's almost worth watching it if you like Christmasina. Go and see him in this because he's good.
2: Okay, lorcan you haven't so you haven't you haven't been looking terribly excited over now that corner with opinion here. But
4: <laughs> I'm listening intently.
2: I'm going I'm to ask you. This is at the end of the day, this is an action film. It's a comic book adaptation action film, and for me. I felt it lacked that. I mean, I do think that Marvel has raised the bar so much in terms of what we can expect from these that I found the climactic scene set in a very dark, It's Chapter Two style theme park or whatever. I found it a desperate letdown. How, how did you find the action aspects of this?
4: Um, well, I think I heard that a lot of the action was either shot or reshot by David Leitch. I think is an odd choice. He's the director of Atomic Blonde and he started off as a director of John Wick. Um, who I don't think is very good at directing action. So I thought that was an unfortunate choice. Um, I, just, I just didn't find it very engaging. To go back to the color scheme, like the, one of the first things that happens is to proclaim her emancipation from the Joker, Harley Quinn drives a semi-oil um, tanker into like the, um, the, chemical the, the Acme chemical plant and it explodes in all of this color I'm like, oh, this is the film announcing itself mm. to the audience that it's going to be this big, vibrant, colorful emancipation from all the stuff they've done before and then it turns out it's not it was just a colorful scene in the movie I think the rest of the, i i didn't like Morga Robbie as the character i thought she was good in Suicide Squad here she's front and center and she's incredibly obnoxious and she's <laughs> she's not the not, point
0: but she's, she's meant not, to be obnoxious. but she's
4: not crazy though she's just she's constantly forced to face these challenges but she just faces them the same way anyone else would she's not crazy she's just kind of quirky and I found that incredibly annoying
2: I f- and she has this weird kind of Betty Boop voice or whatever I feel like we've seen Margot Robbie in so much recently and I feel like she's given many more nuanced performances than she gave in this like I say, I went in and she, it just felt like it was very one note but I've already said that so
3: as I say I think that's actually a failing perhaps of the character of Harley Quinn she's hard to get right as a
2: Character. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. Maybe. Yossi, last word from you. I think we're all
0: being too harsh on this film. Personally, <laughs> like, I, I mean, just what if you watch Suicide Squad and then watch this film, you will understand where I am. But is Can that you not you then taking four hours out of your life to watch <laughs> it when you could just take maybe. <laughs> but you know, I really didn't think it was that bad. If you want to go and have a Saturday night film. Go and see Birds of Prey.
2: Well, this is true. We've got a lot of other stuff to discuss. And we're Actually, go and on see to Parasite
0: and then see Birds of Prey.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you go. Um, right. The Birds of Prey, the fabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn, is a Certificate 15 and is, I believe, still showing at The Light and The View. Why are you hiding out in my garage?
0: They're coming for me. If they steal my power, they could conquer the universe. You have to help me. No, I don't. Please. It's life or death. Super Good morning,
4: my rural chum. Mr. Dr. Robotnik. I'm going to give you five
0: seconds to tell me where it is.
3: Wait, don't hurt him. That was an illegal left, by the way. Aw, this one is cute. Let's keep him. Oh, come on. You've got car insurance, right?
2: Why would you throw your life away for this silly little alien? Good time. He's my friend.
0: Let's go. This is my power and I'm using it to protect my friends. Let's go!
2: In 1991, Japanese video game company Sega released the first Sonic the Hedgehog game in direct competition to Nintendo's jolly plumber Mario, and a blue star was born. By 2014, the franchise had grossed over $5 billion worldwide, so perhaps the question should be why it's taken so long to create this feature film. But finally, here it is, and it's landing in the UK as the big half-term release. It's Mixed Live and... A live action and animation and sonic is voice and motion captured by ben schwartz perhaps best known as a supremely smooth john ralphio in parks and recreation and his new best friend human sheriff tom Wachowski, played by james Marsden, are taking on dastardly foe dr robotnik Jim Carrey in full moustache twirling mode and that is some moustache. <laughs> Rowan, Sonic has, as the kids say, smashed the box office in its first weekend. So there's definitely an audience for this. Would you say it has also smashed the curse, do you like what I did there, Yeah. of the terrible video game adaptation?
3: I'm afraid not. <laughs> 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 to, to keep it short and sweet, no. It Oh boy, is this film bad. Um, I, the problem... Don't I hold back. Tell I guess us. the problem you have with adapting something like Sonic the Hedgehog particularly is that, I mean, I'm probably uh, going to get attacked by Sonic fanboys for this, but the games don't really have a story. A lot of the story for Sonic comes from the comic books and the, and the cartoons that support it, but the games themselves don't really have a story. You run from left to right. There's, I mean, it's they're wonderful games, but there's not much going on. You jump on a few animals and you smash up Dr. Robotnik and his little robots. And you get a wonderful sense of achievement from having gotten to the end. But getting to the end of this film, uh, well, it also, <laughs> also feels like an achievement. Yeah, yeah. it was.
0: You made it it you was got an achievement it. in
3: that I didn't just walk out halfway through. The reason, <laughs> the only reason that I didn't leave this film early is Jim Carrey. Uh, God okay. bless Jim Carrey.
2: Okay. Okay, well, we were talking about we were talking about this, and I think um, Lorcan and I were talking about this. We about the fact that surely there is to, by casting Jim Carrey, you're opening yourself out to another audience, which frankly includes me as you know my generation. I love Jim Carrey, and I was really excited to see him back in a big release. Lorcan, do you feel that Sonic did him any favours?
4: Well, I mean, the the film starts and you you, uh, you hear this like very like nostalgic instrumental version of the original theme. Uh, and it shows you like some of the the original eight-bit like platforming action, and it all culminates in a big Sega logo. And I was like, oh man, okay, I'm yeah, I'm all in for okay. this. And then I'm like, oh, Jim Carrey's in this. I if this is a Venn diagram, I'm straight in the middle. Um, <laughs> and then unfortunately, I immediately found out that the film's made for preschoolers, but generally people <laughs> who haven't grasped speech yet. Um, most notably, the moments where Jim Carrey makes a Particularly gross uh, sexual innuendo, and then Sonic farts. And that was, it was hard not to leave after that scene.
2: <laughs> okay, David. As we know, um, David, that was very formal, wasn't it? Yeah. Dave, sorry. As we know, there was they, they, they They pushed back the release date of this. I think for three full months because they had to redesign, obviously, all of Sonic after making him look too creepy and human in the first adaptation of him. Is there... Have you got anything good to say about this? I thought Sonic was kind of cute. I thought when he when he fluffed himself out, I thought the actual <laughs> animated hedgehog was pretty cute.
1: I mean, it, it, it's a tricky one. I, I can't help but wonder if, you know, bit, as well as investing that time in redoing the CGI which it, it looked okay at times, sometimes it was glaringly obvious that okay, yeah, the giant blue hedgehog doesn't really exist, shock, mm. but if they could have worked on the story a bit as well in those three months, maybe uh, it was just too many things that clashed, the whole presence of the, the army being there as well as the sinister evil robot doctor guy it's like, why don't you just have him being chased by the sinister evil agency and then you can ignore the army and get rid of half your budget and put it into something else, like the story or you know some decent music the the best part of it was probably the end credits when they went back to the old eight-bit music and eight-bitted the entire storyline in five minutes yeah
0: to
2: the soundtrack of, of With khalifa film. i will say <laughs> was that your highlight was, was with khalifa, khalifa
0: and ty dollar sign at the very end of the film and was, was that like, your highlight well, your well it was just realizing that it was them was a highlight for me look <laughs> no, i i you know what it it There were points, maybe I have the mental capacity of a five-year-old child, (laughs) Lorcan, I don't know. But there were some bits where I did think, oh, they are going somewhere with this. Like, I felt for poor little Sonic, who has no friends and, you know, doesn't get to talk to anyone at the beginning. I was like, oh, he really needs a friend. I, I, I got involved with that. But then I just thought the story it didn't really go anywhere like the climax wasn't even a climax it didn't have the the right narrative for me i couldn't follow it properly so when it was the end i was like oh it, it it's just the end. And then I enjoyed Wiz Khalifa.
2: It was interesting to me seeing James Marston front and centre because it made me realise how much more TV work he's doing at the moment. Obviously, Westworld, and he's about to be starring in the adaptation of The Stand and maybe he is more suited to television mm. than he is to the big screen. But having said that, I found he had an easy charm and affability that I enjoyed watching. And it's not, like you say, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to act against Something that's not there. Like, oh, I, don't well, I don't know. I
3: was I was going to make an unkind joke about perhaps they should have spent some time reanimating James Marsden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, <yeah>. that's
2: <laughs> just mean
3: he, he's the best one. I, yeah, I
2: thought so. He was he was my oh, best.
3: Boy. Oh boy. Oh, sorry. Perhaps not. No, <laughs> I I I thought he. I mean, Dave mentioned it. He clearly was not is not used to acting against a tennis ball on a stick or a man in a little dotty suit as i uh, i guess it must have been on set i just i didn't feel like he made any connection with the sonic character um i think he, they, tried, yeah, like, he tried yeah he tried, tried really hard like yeah. he's not
4: he's not like phoning it in like yeah. he is trying to be the affable they had
2: that whole scene with the bar fight with the bucket list oh. and i thought that i don't know i look <laughs> I'm clearly not target audience for this, but I did take my children to it, although I must admit there was a lot of non-team moaning and groaning when I said, You've got to come and see it, because I've got to review it. Yeah. But my nine-year-old was surprisingly charmed, which is nice because I think he has quite age-inappropriate taste usually. So <laughs> it was he was very touched and he found the end incredibly touching. When, you know, when Sonic becomes part of the family or whatever, he was really and he was like, "Oh, that is just lovely." And so, it's oh, well, not terrible after an hour
0: and a half. But yeah,
3: perhaps that's a film, good thing. It
0: wasn't too long. Yeah, it, it went by quite quickly.
3: Yeah, I, I just, oh, if you like the the. I just want to say this one thing. There are three action scenes in this film. Maybe that you could count four action scenes in this film. Three of them are stolen from other films. Yes. Two of them are the same thing stolen from X Men: Days of Future. Are we Past. talking to
2: Quicksilver? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And
3: they do that joke twice, yeah. and both times it doesn't work.
2: And they, they did it twice with Quicksilver. I mean, they redid it with Quicksilver. Well, that's true, as well, but at least they, did it they both X Men films.
3: But yeah, they had the good grace to do it across two different movies. They <laughs> did it twice in one film here. They stole a joke. Not, which isn't really a joke from The Dark Knight, with the little, you know, the pod popping out of the car kind of thing. I thought that was funny, and then it happened again, and it happened again. I was like, oh, I can understand why this might seem like a joke when you're writing it down.
4: I, oh, I, just, I, I think that when, I, when I said like the film was for very, very young children, like all of the jokes are just things that were cliché in the 90s yeah. like James Morrison talking to the cameras like okay he's clearly not talking to someone he's rehearsing a speech in front of something can yeah. cut to whatever he's rehearsing in, in front of um, but like the, I saw it in, in a screen absolutely filled with children and they I didn't hear a titter, a twitter like throughout the whole thing <laughs> and whenever this quick a moment happened I actually heard a kid be like oh they're just doing the X-Men thing <laughs> like
2: <laughs> that is exactly what my children said to me although I tittered a couple of times I'm now almost embarrassed to admit that but I think it's been biggest crime for me is that it just completely wasted Jim Carrey and that yeah. is that is you know unforgivable
4: his big comeback as well but
2: like i say it is i mean it has done incredibly well you know it it, it got more than pokemon it's it's there there is an audience out there for it people are loving it and i think we're going to have to accept there will be a sequel which is what the end of credits suggested they set one up Mm. exactly with foxes or tails or whatever the orange one's
3: called i don't know spoiler alert emma
2: i'm so sorry (laughs) that means you don't have to stay until after the credits if you don't want to (laughs) Okay, so I think we can safely say that, yeah, Sonic is not getting blinding reviews from here, but you know, (laughs) you might love it. It's a certificate PG and it is showing at the Light and the View Cinemas.
0: Bums
1: on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio.
2: That was just a little bit of the score from Spirited Away, one of the Studio Ghibli gems which is now available to watch from the comfort of your very own sofa. In a move which has pleased Japanese anime fans worldwide, I would say, Netflix have finally agreed this deal and they can now bring 30 years of classics to our TV screens. They're going to be dropping over three months. We had the first drop on the 1st of February, then 1st of March and 1st of April. And we're going to be spoilt by such titles as My Neighbour Totoro, Porco Rosso, Spirited Away and Castle in the Sky. Ghibli has been often described, and I was probably say reductively, as a Disney of Japan, but it was co-founded by Miyazaki and Takahata and has made its name with features which lean heavily on Japanese nature and spiritualism, as well as some good feisty heroines and beautiful hand-drawn animation. Yossi, both my twins have watched My Neighbor Totoro about 54 times, and I know that you are a huge fan. So what is it about this incredibly simple narrative? Because it is a simple, simple story which demands re-watching.
0: I get emotional when I think about my neighbor totoro because <laughs> I just think it just it captures childhood and the childhood imagination so perfectly it is as you say the, the narrative is very very simple but just l- scenes make you think of it takes me right back to being a child and you know how i thought what i did and how i acted that they just capture it so perfectly i think it is a wonderful wonderful film it's visually so appealing the music is great the the story you really just get thrown into it and you you it's just overwhelmingly lovely I, d- I can't really describe it in o- any other way but i i genuinely think it's perfect i think it's one of my favorite studio ghibli films well, that's great rowan do you have a
2: favorite that you would say i mean like basically you know they, they, these are all available to go and watch so yeah listen to these advanced opinions and and make your choices
3: yeah i think my pick is actually one that's coming out on the 1st of march which is princess mononoke which it might be in my top 10 favorite films of any type let alone animation. Um, I think that film is truly wonderful. Um, it didn't get quite the same attention that um, Spirited Away* got, but I think it's it's better. There's not much more to say about it, really. I'm I, I sort of like I, I haven't I, I haven't
2: seen. Princeton oh well, one, okay. I mean
3: that one is that one is definitely definitely worth a watch on the first of March. Um, it comes out alongside Spirited Away. So I think a lot of people will think to uh, to watch Spirited Away first, but I, I certainly think that Mononaki is better.
2: Okay. Um, also, uh, already on Netflix is Miyazaki's um, debut, which is The Castle of Kali Ostro, which was made in 1979. So we're really, I mean, we are going back such a long way. Because I think that, na- my neighbour Totoro, I think, is 1988, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. And Spirited Away, which is probably the one that most people think of, I think 2003?
3: 2001.
2: 2001.
3: I think Steven Spielberg, uh, has said that the there's a car chase action scene at the beginning of Castle of Cagliostro, which he says is is if not the best, one of the best action scenes in any film ever. And I think it sort of influenced his Tintin chase um, in that in the film
1: that he made of Tintin.
2: I've not seen it. Uh, Dave, are you Dave? Big fan, big GB fan.
1: Uh, I've seen a few of them. And yeah. would
2: you would you put, would you pick one out for viewing? Ooh,
1: probably Howl's Moving Castle. I find it really really intriguing. Is the one where a. Uh, uh, heroine is cursed quite early on she's turned into an old lady and she goes to work for a wizard who may or may not cure her because he may or may not know who she is already but he may or may not be fighting the (laughs) witch who has cursed her it's very very uh kind of it feels like a very complicated storyline at least it did the first time i watched it then i watched it again and realized i'm just an idiot and (laughs) it's beautifully told and beautifully animated uh it's adapted from the book by i've forgotten her name completely (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> and have you do you guys watch it when you've been watching have you been watching in japanese with subtitles do you think there's something to be said for doing that or do you think because i know in a lot of cases they pick some pretty good voice actors. i mean christian bale for example i think is house moving castle yeah. It does voiceover work in that so do you think this is a case where you could watch the dubbed versions and not feel like you have to, like too much is being taken away from you or would you stick purely to subtitles
0: One thing I will say, if you're watching these on Netflix and you will do watch the dubbed version and have subtitles on, as some people do, the subtitles are actually terrible. They they, they don't match what's being said in the film at all. Um, I think my personal choice would probably be to watch them in Japanese as they're meant to be, and um, then having English subtitles, but... I think, I think that's something that's much of a muchness. It depends on it, what you prefer. The dubbed versions aren't aren't awful, but I will just say, if you're going to watch them with Netflix subtitles, they're, the because subtitles are Because the script great.
1: translation is actually different from the script that yeah. the dubbed actors are reading. So. I've got it. Yeah.
0: I actually watched, and I don't know
2: if it's available on Netflix yet, and I don't even know if it's dropping, but Ghibli did a, Ghibli did a joint production, The Red Turtle, which is completely, that's like, there's no he's shaking his head to say no Emma no it's not coming to Netflix at all so I shouldn't even really mention it but it's silent basically it's a beautiful silent
0: animation and I really enjoyed that that's a great film I saw that at the Cambridge Film Festival and I was just blown away I thought that's a really wonderful animation
3: I just want to do one final shout out on the 1st of April Pompoco comes out on the 1st of April I don't want to say why because it's the daytime on the radio, but that film is magnificent. It's about raccoons fighting industrialization and the way they combat industrialization yeah can't be said on the radio no, i was radio. gonna
4: say like i'm not like i'm not a big ghibli head I, i'm not I'm fairly indifferent towards them but pom is was fantastic yeah. so definitely <laughs> check that out the second it's on netflix
3: and,
2: and what is, is, is it a normal certificate is it a normal even oh, yeah, you can't it's say, su- yeah.
3: suitable for kids but you can't say why on the radio yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and when is that what and when when's that dropping
3: that's the first of april
2: okay and is that coming along with Pony is that Ponyo as well that's coming first of april yeah yeah, yeah. okay
3: and that's when how's moving castle comes as well yeah.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, they, like I say, my certainly my kids have been overjoyed to have such easy access to all of them again. And I do think it is, you know, it's a refreshing a cultural change from, you know, the constant disney Disneyation of all our other pop culture commodities, it feels for me. So there you go. Tune into Netflix, watch your Ghibli, and you've got more coming next month and the month after that.
0: On seats on Cambridge 105 radio.
2: So, you're listening to Cambridge 105. We're going to be finishing. We've got just about 23, 24 minutes to go. And we're going to be finishing on the sci fi creepiness of Little Joe. But first, let us turn our hands to a little bit of matchmaking.
0: This That's house! You will never guess what has happened. Robert Martin has offered me his hand. Do you advise me. No 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 no. The words must be your own. You must be the best judge of your own happiness. <laughs> I have now quite determined. And really almost made up my mind to refuse Mr. Martin. Emma, Mr. Knightley.
1: This is your doing. She is the natural daughter of nobody knows. She has never respected a respect relation. Oh. Upon my word You should not make matches
3: Whatever you say always comes to pass
0: Mr. Elton, Miss Harriet Smith He is in love with you Who can think of Miss
1: Smith When Miss Woodhouse is near
0: Mr. Elton
2: Oh dear Jane Austen has of course proved a rich theme for both the UK both big and small screen adaptations from Emma Thompson's Sense and Sensibility to Colin Firth in his Dripping Breeches in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> the story of Emma, Austen's final novel, published while she was alive, about the good-hearted yet misguided Emma Woodhouse, who just wants to be left in peace to matchmake and maybe find her own Mr. Right on the way, was brought to cinemas twice in the mid-90s, only a year apart. One a traditional costume adaptation starring Gwyneth Paltrow, and in fact Ewan McGregor, my best friend, and one the brilliantly updated Clueless. So we're 25 years on, and this is the first big-screen adaptation since then, and this time it's in the hands of debut feature director Autumn DeWild best name of the week starring anya taylor joy as a titular emma and johnny flynn as knightley and callum turner as churchill her jewel suitors backed up by a cast of british stalwarts including bill nighy miranda hart and rupert graves it treads a traditional and colorful path through regency england look and i'm coming to you because in fact we're the only people who've seen that this this week yes. but also you famously, and I say that because the review has gone down, I think, as one of Bums on Seat's <laughs> favourite reviews of That's last year. Show. It's a classic show. It's a classic show. Tune into the podcast if you haven't heard it. Enjoying Downton Abbey last year, despite having serious misgivings at going in. Now, I'm not, you know, these. Are, they're, they're both costume dramas, very different, obviously. I'm not trying to say that Julian Fellows and Jane Austen are the same thing. But would you take your theoretical Randy Grandma to go and see Emma, and do you think that she and you would enjoy it?
4: Well, the Randy Grandma is a, is a separate issue. I'll tackle that differently. Um, Um, It's it's very similar experience. Well, slightly because I I went into Downton Abbey not a not knowing anything about it and b knowing there's a little bit of a stigma against it. It's kind of like this uh, oldies kind of Sunday afternoon watch. Um, I end up surprisingly loving it. Uh, I don't know anything about Emma. Uh, I don't. I've never read a Jane Austen, so I was just pleasantly going in blind, um, and it starts off and there's all this sprightly music, there's this uh, beautiful naturally lit photography and all the, all the cast are kind of oddly very well suited to the characters and they're very charismatic, and then you see Johnny Flynn in the nip straight away, all of these delightful things. <laughs> Um, which is certificate you by the way which is it shook me a little bit
2: well it said brief it was interesting it says certificate unit says brief natural nudity and that as you say is johnny <laughs> flynn in literally the first five minutes which i was not complaining all about either.
4: no it was absolutely fine thank um, you
2: autumn de wilde
4: <laughs> much obliged um so all, all, these, all these delightful things are happening i'm like oh i'm gonna love this it's gonna be like a new downton abbey but then that's kind of the movie unfortunately it is just kind of a delight everyone's being kind of delightful and polite and it's very nicely shot but no one really has any agency, if you look at, like, again, it's, it's weird to contra- contrast it to Downton Abbey, but Downton Abbey, a period piece, costume drama, but everyone had agency, all the little subplots were leading up to one event, where all of the subplots would be very neatly tied in a bow, whereas this was very much just kind of charming characters interacting, and then at the last five minutes, there were some kind of slight, res- resolved resol- some slight Resolution to the plot holes as uh, to the plots.
2: The key, I think, to Emma, what you you know, what you're meant to get, Emma, as they say at the beginning, she is a la- you know, she's a lady of good, she's a girl of good fortune and good looks, and she is exceptionally charming. Twenty one years old, her mother has died, I think, so she's at home looking after her father. Yeah. So she and she she has no plans to leave him, and this is why she sort of is meddling in other people's lives, everywhere you But I think what you're meant to get from Emma is obviously the growth of her as a character because she starts off very superficial yeah. and not really thinking about the effects the emotional effects that her meddling is having on people and then by the end of it she's meant to have grown
4: yes emotionally and do you feel that
2: that anya taylor joy demonstrated that for you i
4: think she did she did a very good job of demonstrating it i think everyone was very good in this film so i have only seen Anya taylor joy i think she's in peaky blinders as well but i only know her from the witch which i think is a fantastic film and she's very good in it um but from a i think what you're describing would work very well in the book obviously it does it's a jane austen novel um but in a film you i i always find it odd whenever you you don't see a main character progressing the plot themselves it's just kind of things happening to them incidental things happening here or there Um, and it's very rare where emma herself will do do something to hit a plot beat to advance the plot it's very much just kind of wishy-washy again everyone being very charming and polite to each other and then all of a sudden everything kind of comes to a head naturally as opposed to a forceful progression from the main t- main character and so whenever you have a pa- such a passive main character I found it very interesting very, very disinteresting and I found myself kind of Coming out of it a little bit and check my watch a few times.
2: Okay, um, Johnny Flynn—they've cast as Knightley, and this is quite an interesting piece of casting because Knightley is not really meant to be, perhaps, quite as rawly sexual and masculine. I sure. think that Johnny Flynn, because Johnny Flynn has that look about him. He was in—he was in Beast, I think. Yeah. And he is—you know—he's—he's he's got he's got a fairly raw look about him. But I did think that he and Anya Taylor-Joy had really believable chemistry and I was sold by their romance. Although, how did you feel about the fact that they used that old trope of quite a long scene in a ballroom dance to kind of show...
4: I love an old ball- ballroom dance scene. I had nothing against it. It was because the the, the the power dynamics of that scene were fairly fresh, even though you've seen that scene before. Um, and I, again, all the performances are very good. Everyone's very well suited to the character. Everyone is very charming. Everyone interacts very well with each other. I think this is the first... I've only seen a few projects with Johnny Flynn. I think he's a a very talented singer-songwriter. I'm a big fan of his. And I think this is the first thing I've seen him in where he actually sings. And it's quite an affecting scene because it's like he's a very good singer and that scene works very well. Um, But again, I just... The engagement of the characters can only carry you so long when really there's nothing happening.
2: And what did you... I would say one of the biggest enjoyments for me... And again, you know, you kind of think, could they have done something more interesting with this? It is a very, you know, it's firmly set in its time. But I thought the costumes were just beautiful and i love that kind of color palette that autumn de wild used it, it felt like an easter egg it's all kind of pastels and like yeah. you said perhaps as well coming out of birds of prey where <laughs> i was squinting at the screen to see stuff this is gloriously lit it just it just and you know and it, it we're, we're blessed with some beautiful properties in the uk i guess where, where it was filmed and it is a beautiful looking film to me did you think so
4: yeah no i, th- I thought they, they chose some fantastic set locations um Like I say, a lot. Most of it's naturally. It might all be naturally. I'm not sure. Um, And it's just. It's a very good-looking film. It's a very competently put together film. There's not a lot you can criticize from it, apart from maybe. Uh, the script which Adam DeWild also wrote was stuck a little too closely to the narrative of the book and wasn't maybe wasn't adapted as best. I believe um,
2: that they take I I was listening to another podcast, I won't even mention it, but some but someone who because I haven't read Emma, the book, but someone was saying that they have actually taken Jane Austen's not you know, they've they've taken her dialogue wholesale from the book book and put it in there. And this yeah. person as a fan of Jane Austen was very appreciative of that. Whether or not you are whether or not that works so well if perhaps you're not a fan of jane austen's books is a whole different
4: question for, for the dialogue you can tell the dialogue is very legitimate and it does do a lot to sell the film but yeah you do have to adapt it to a certain extent and add add, put some of your own personality just not in the aesthetics alone but in the script as well
2: and i would say and i would like to give um some props to Miranda Hart who I haven't seen I mean I was never a huge fan of Miranda necessarily but she's playing Miss Bates who is this kind of annoying yet well-meaning character and she is the catalyst for you know Emma's realisation that she's not actually nearly as nice as she thinks she is and that scene at the picnic I thought was beautifully done and was genuinely emotionally affecting so I would like I, I just thought yeah I thought Miranda Hart was was really good and no, I enjoy fantastic. Bill Nighy and it's always good when you see Rupert Grace. Well, it's always good for me when I see Rupert Graves, and he was, and he, yeah, he was. You know, I, I'm with you, Lorcan. I thought it was really a likable way to spend two hours. I yeah. thought the costumes were gorgeous. I thought the colours were gorgeous. I enjoyed seeing Johnny Flynn in a bit of a breakout, and I think as a debut, debut directorial feature film, because I think Autumn Wild has done a lot of music, music videos. videos I believe, yeah. Beck, I think, is probably... You know, she's pretty. She's she's got some kind of cool credentials, shall we say? And I think she's done something which is very audience audience friendly. Oh
4: yeah, like everyone in the picture house has certainly loved it. And um, it it is a very competently put together film. It's a, a very well made film. Like I say, maybe just a bit more a bit more revision on the script, but it is a very fresh, kind of energetic, youthful take on a story that a lot of people obviously know already. Yeah.
2: And I think as well, bringing it out at the end of February when we're all wishing for a little bit of spring in the air and you can feel it, it's not yeah. such a bad thing. It felt like a breath of spring It is a transportative
4: me. kind yeah. of film, yeah.
2: So I think, look at that, I'm giving that a rave review, it turns out. Oh, I might
3: go and see it
2: this afternoon. <laughs> it's a certificate you grow and you can do, <laughs> and it's showing everywhere. Now, to finish off the show, we are going to take a trip to the Plant Works Laboratory to see how little Joe is growing. Oh.
4: Our aim was to create a
0: plant with a scent that makes its owner happy.
4: We are entering a new era here. The first mood lifting, antidepressant, happy plant. We've received orders from all over the world.
1: I just wanted to say that I feel really proud to be working with you.
2: Look what I have for you. What do you say we call him, Little Joe? You have to take good care of it,
0: keep it warm, talk to it, it needs attention. What's so special about it? It makes you happy.
2: You're a good mother, but which of your children will you choose? Austrian director Jessica Hausner. You see, this is the third female director of the week. Whoop, whoop. First English language feature, Little Joe, debuted at Cannes last year and won its lead, Emily Beecham, the Best Actress Accolade. And now it's showing in screens in Cambridge. Beecham plays single mother Alice, who is an expert plant geneticist, and she and her colleague Chris Brenbushaw have been working on a new plant strain called Little Joe, named after her own teenage son, played by Kit Connor, last seen in rocket man as a young Elton John, just aside the there. It's a fluffy red flower, which when nurtured and talked to, can unleash happiness in its owner. But as more people, including her son and her colleagues, come into contact with Little Joe, their behavior seems to change. Is there something more sinister afoot? Look, I'm coming to you again, I'm afraid, this incredibly stylized. Quasi-horror sci-fi owes more than a small debt to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Do you feel that Hausner's style and script make this more than just a
4: clone? Oh, I see what you did there. Very very good. Thanks. Um, I think, I mean, for it's definitely very reminiscent of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and a little bit of Little Shop of Horrors in there as well. Um, But it's a very... I mean, Invasion of the Body Snatches Snatchers has been done to death. I think even the original novel is said to have been inspired, shall we say, by various other materials. Um, but its I would say it's a very thoughtful interpretation of that kind of story. Um, and it's done with a very deliberate kind of minimalist 70s, where you had lots, lots of sci-fi films in the 70s that had big ambitions of like futuristic cities but they had to strip down the sets and make it look very minimalistic. This film tries to do that kind of style very much so and it it really does the best it can with the budget it has. Um I think all the principal photographer all all the principal performers are very good. I think almost all the extras have some very dubious line reads yes. and maybe weren't the best directed. Um, but as as relating to a new fresh sci-fi story. I'm so sick of seeing films that have substitutes for story and character, whether it be like big action or overt politics or whatever. This is clearly someone who's gone in, uh, Jessica Hausner wrote and directed it, she's gone in to do a, a very thoughtful kind of new take on maybe a story that we've seen before, but it is a very well accomplished story.
2: Dave, a lot of this is set within the Plant Works Laboratory, and like I say, it is incredibly stylized from their mint green lab coats to the incredibly clean white um, environs that they're in. Did, did you feel did you feel that worked, or did you feel that that incredible stylization kind of takes you out a little bit because you can't quite believe that this sort of laboratory would exist in real life?
1: Uh, I think the the setting was really good. It actually ramped up the tension for a few scenes. There was one scene where I thought, like, I was in the, you know, sitting in the audience watching Alien for the first time, where you are, you are just waiting for something bad to happen, and then it, it doesn't appear like it is going to happen, and then they, you know they make it happen anyway, and I jumped out of my seat a little bit. I mean, the, I did have a few problems with the film. One of them was that they seem to be the the worst scientists since the crew of the prometheus who ran around <laughs> an alien world touching things to see if they would die from it and it, it, it feels a bit like they're doing something because it, it looks and feels like a proper laboratory and then it's like well they've got all these rules right oh no okay let's not, let's ignore the rules well <laughs> yeah
2: there is this subplot at the beginning isn't there with um kerry fox is playing. Uh, one of the older sort of blonde geneticists has been working there a while and she has a dog. And a I'm dog? All- <laughs>
1: Entirely Let convinced. it in the clean room. Nothing will go wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah. that, but, but, you know, but at the same time, he obviously needed Bella and Bella, you, you know, you, you need that because a dog is, is one of the first things that comes into contact with with the plants. Yeah. Um, Rowan, you were saying before we went before we came on, uh, this was by a long shot, your favourite film of the week.
3: Oh, absolutely, but by a long way. I'm, now, I didn't see Emma, as we just heard, so um, I can't sort of speak to the quality. They sound like they're very different, John. <laughs> but, um... Uh, I'm
2: not sure where the Venn diagram is going between little Joe
3: and Emma. I said this in conversation with some friends and then before the show to you guys, that it's sort of cursing this film with faint praise to call it interesting, but I did find it interesting to watch. I wasn't exactly pulled into the story. I wasn't ever worried for the characters. I wasn't, like, engaged with them on a human level, but I was, found the film fascinating to watch from a sort of filmmaking perspective. The soundtrack is incredible. I was just looking at some reviews um, before the show. Um, the world, or at least the IMDb reviews page, seems to be split 50-50 between people who think it's fantastic and people who've given it one star simply because the soundtrack is so challenging
2: in that eyes wide shut that eyes wide shut way maybe it is very disconcerting but i think that's probably a deliberate
3: choice absolutely and straight from the beginning as well you're under no illusions about what they want you to feel during this film with the clashing strings and the sort of barking dogs at some point i think we used the yeah it, it was just wonderful you I never, really
2: enjoyed the soundtrack. Yeah, you, it certainly never wants you to feel comfortable. I'm going to throw something out there, and I think I said this after, because we went to go see this on, on a joint viewing last night, and I think I threw it out afterwards, and I'm not sure if anyone else read this as I did. But obviously, you have little Joe, and it's named after Joe, who is Alice's almost teenage son. He's on the cusp of adolescence. And I think there's a lot of this film that's about that maternal fear of losing your children, and particularly, I think, mother and sons, because there is a, a, a disconnect she says, speaking as the mother of two sons, about to this. there is there is this fear that this disconnect can come with teenage boys who are just no longer going to communicate. And while Alice is showing concern about her son's behaviour, which may or be, may not be linked to, you know, little Joe turning him into a clone, a lot of people are saying, that's just the way it is. You've just got to accept it. Your son is growing further away. Did anyone else pick up on that? I,
4: th- I think very wisely the film's not about that, but I think that's definitely an element to it. The film is really about how people interact with each other and mm-hmm. what Rowan said about making... Maybe he didn't buy into the the emotional drama of the characters i think that might be somewhat deliberate because i everyone,
3: oh absolutely
4: they everyone speaks very sterile and yeah. everyone kind of is uh, kind of like maybe a commentary and like nowadays everyone's kind of disconnected and they speak to each other in a weird kind of formal rigid way um and that that does progress and wisely it's not centered on one particular aspect or like the the mother-daughter relationship that is just one smaller aspect of son. a much bigger more interesting oh, what Was that? Well, you said
2: mother daughter mother son, oh, mother
4: son. <laughs> All right. uh, his hair wasn't that long <laughs> Um, but yeah, why is it, that's just one smaller aspect of a much bigger machine that's working yeah. here.
2: But did you think, though, that that, that sterile, you know, the, the aspect of the relationships, the sterile way they talk to each other was there from the very beginning, so that maybe as it transpires that maybe, that you, you know, that you're moving into a spooky sci-fi pass it, it didn't sort of make, it, the emotional impact was not really there, because it yeah. wasn't all that different from how they've been talking to each other at the beginning. She seemed incredibly emotionally disconnected. Um be, Emily Beecham as um as Alice seemed incredibly emotionally disconnected from her son from the beginning anyway I felt
3: I, I that's part of the thing I quite enjoyed about this uh the acting and the performances and and the sort of the themes about you know towards the end they're talking about simply pretending to have these emotions and simply pretending to be happy or you know, it's okay, it doesn't matter, just pretend and I got that impression that what um Jessica hasner is trying to say is that we're already doing that this is society now we are pretending and you know things like social media or you know electronic communication in general sort of hiding or allowing us to fake emotion where it doesn't exist and things like that i found that very interesting (laughs) there's that word again you know that it gave me food for thought that i mean Crikey. Sonic and Birds of Prey did not make me think. I'd forgotten the film before it even left the cinema screening and this film I've been thinking about since yesterday.
2: That's true. Dave, I would say that probably the most famous name in this would be Ben Whishaw. I'm a really big Ben Whishaw fan and I thought he was kind of pitch perfect in this because the fa- his face, there were a lot of there were a lot of scenes in this film where they, they just, they, they focused on very, very imperceptible sort of facial expressions to show, like, where, where you should be showing one emotion, but perhaps you end up showing another emotion. It's just not the, you know, the beat is just slightly off. Did you enjoy anyone in particular in the cast? Do you think that Beecham deserved her Best Actress Award at Cannes? Do you think she held this together? She is the centre.
0: I
1: mean, I really like the dog. <that>. There's one scene where they're looking at the dog through the glass after it might have been infected, and the dog just does the head tilt, and I was lost. But no, uh, I thought, actually, Beecham and were both really good in the lead roles. Uh, ben Wishaw, this is probably the best I've seen him in since he turned up in BBC's Criminal Justice, where he's playing a person who's been falsely accused. And in that, he was this isolated person who didn't know how to act when he's shoved into a prison. And in this case, he's not the isolated person and he was actually making the feelings of isolation and pushing them towards Emily Beecham's character and I found that very very interesting to see a kind of reverse dynamic from him and it was the way every now and again he kind of had this blank faced menace about him Mm. it really made me feel uncomfortable and I think that's entirely what they wanted the film to do and it's what Rowan was talking about the way people are interacting it seemed that the plant almost made them become more natural and they were all unnaturally apart before they mm. got, or did they get infected? That's the one thing I couldn't work out at the end, is, you know, is this all just a lie, and they're all just happy now, and they haven't realised it. <laughs> yes, this is what it's like to be happy, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. I would say that perhaps, one, the thing that it didn't, it, there perhaps wasn't perhaps a dramatic heft, or le- like a little bit like you were saying about Emma Lorcan, that it just yeah. left you a little bit, like there wasn't any agency to you. I didn't necessarily find that this film took me to where I was hoping for it to take, take me eventually to somewhere perhaps slightly creepier and scarier yeah. than it actually ended up but having said that it's certainly very different from anything i've seen in a long time and it had a timeless quality about it because it does have that very 70s look yeah. about it and i can imagine watching it in another 10 years and it won't have dated at all because of that very specific look apart from the fact that obviously we were all like oh there's carrie fox after yeah, <laughs> hey look carrie fox Crikey, is there was a long time ago <laughs> um, but she but it was I, yeah i i i it's the kind of thing I wouldn't have gone to go and see if I wasn't doing rums on seats and that's what I really appreciated.
3: But I think we should all recommend people go see. I think yeah, for sure. I Absolutely, it. yeah. I, I We mentioned Kerry Fox. Also, David Walmart's in it I and mean, I always like seeing him on screen. I think he's fantastic. Um, he, he plays a, a man whose character could be boiled down to. He has fun T-shirts but yeah. <laughs> and t-shirt, fun facial hair yeah exactly it's good, good facial he hair he
2: was if anything the comic relief yeah in, he was in very film. Good. I thought two, he was
3: subtly brilliant in that film actually. two
2: glorious shades of red of, of redheaded heroes in this as yeah. well which I loved <laughs> yeah. I was mesmerised by Emily Beecham's hair it was glorious absolutely um, okay I think that's about all we've got time for this week so thank you very much for joining us do you remember that the Cambridge Water Sprite Festival celebrating emerging student filmmakers is on from Friday the 6th to Sunday the 8th of March with short film screenings panel discussions and interviews and best of all it's completely free so please head to watersprite.org.uk for more details and bums on seats we'll be back in two weeks time when releases are going to include The True History of the Kelly Gang Military Wives, Dark Waters and The Invisible Man. As ever, this past hour is going to be repeated at 2pm tomorrow and then tidied up into our podcast. That podcast you can download or stream from either our page on the Cambridge 105 Radio website or via our page on iTunes or from wherever you like to choose your podcasts. And so to play us out, here is a little bit of the score of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which will also be reviewed on the next show on which Yossi is giving... A very enthusiastic thumbs up for. <laughs> but from us all in the studio now, goodbye. Thanks for joining us.
3: Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>